This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast, mailbag edition, Matt Perry, Merrick Scope with Jared Mack on this Monday edition of the show. I've got a feeling that we're going to talk a lot about uh, what happened this past weekend against then number 12 BYU, Oregon 41, Cougars 20. Uh, it feels like, guys, the excitement is back with the program. Uh, Eastern Washington, it was definitely a hey, let's see what happens next week when they play a real team. And then you kind of got the same result, blowout fashion, um, backups thrown into the game in the third quarter. We've all said a little early, but nonetheless, it still happened. And now kind of the excitement, the awe of the season is back after that big win. And by the way, good on you guys. You guys pretty much nailed the the AP poll ranking. You guys both said yes. kind of a cap of 14-15. Oregon is 15th mm-hmm. in the AP poll this week. 18th in the coaches, is that right, Jared? I I don't look to the coaches. We're, <laughs> not, like, we're not like, we're not a coaches poll family here. We don't we're just we, only we, AP. We just ignore them. We don't care about yes. what the coaches think. We only care about right. the media, the Associated Press. And it's exactly right. But AP, we uh baby. yeah, AP AP this is an AP podcast. Uh no, but uh, I, I think I was kind of I was I was like a little skeptical if it actually would come through like that because I you know just sometimes you never know with the way things go. You guys are right, fifteen. I think that's and it, and that feels pretty appropriate considering the fact that they just blasted a team like BYU. And it was nice seeing in the AP poll that like the right orders took place. Like Oregon was ahead of BYU and ahead of Baylor, whereas I think in a coaches poll like coaches poll they were behind Baylor. Yeah, exactly. And it's like well that doesn't make sense because if, if you want to use it anyway, we don't have to go through that much. Let's get some questions here. Um, five questions today, broad range of topics, tried to get some new question askers involved. I think like three of the five are people who we've never read questions for. So keep submitting them. It makes it kind of fun hearing from different voices, different, uh, questions, different point of views. So first one is from a repeat question asker though, Joey Bonin 33. What were your favorite offensive and defensive moments of the game? Hashtag outs and audibles. I thought this would just kind of give us one last opportunity to kind of recap some thoughts after having rewatched. Um, Saturday's game again on Sunday. Um, one of the nice things about, uh, by the way, about having uh, Dan Lanning's press conference in the evenings, there's, there's not a lot of nice things because I'd prefer to do that earlier in the day, but <laughs> it, it does give you like a little bit more leeway of like, we can record this podcast, we can get the rewatch done, we can kind of, you know, invest a little more time rather than kind of feeling like we have to kind of run into some stuff here. So that is nice. But um, I think, I don't think my, 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 my answer offensively has changed after checking things out again, like it's, it's still that drive to end the first half. I just found that to be um, one of the more impressive sequences I've seen from Oregon football, you know, in the last 
three to four years, maybe, maybe more than that. I, I, I don't know. I haven't gone and collectively like thought through every single game, but to, to have a drive like that, where you kind of mixed it up in such a unique fashion where you go straight up, like just formations we haven't seen in like a couple decades. And then at the end you split it out and you go five wide and you throw it like, you know, I guess I remember a little story. It was like, you, they kind of shape shifted from like, Hey, we're going to play like 1980s, nebraska football for a couple of plays and then suddenly it's like hey no here we are back to like some just modern spread principles spread everybody out get everybody you know get you know change the make, make sure the defensive personnel is ready for something completely different um i i just thought that was really masterfully done um execution was great across the board um you know i think it showed a couple things in terms of that of like these guys are, are willing to go for it on fourth down on their own side of the field. I know that can be devastating if it goes the other way, but just the confidence mm -hmm. there when it does work out is impressive. And remind me that next week, like if they do go for it on fourth on their own side and it doesn't work, that like I was applauding them for when it did work against BYU because it's easy sometimes to get, you know, uh, caught up in the moment of the results-oriented part. I like the fact that they had kind of the – intestinal fortitude if you will to do it so i just love that entire drive I, I don't think there's anything else offensively in that game that matches up to it there's certainly some individual plays that were great but i just thought that whole drive was just masterful i loved it i think i don't know if i'm gonna go individual plays or a full drive because the full drive at the, the end of this the second quarter was amazing like eric just ran through is just having something we haven't seen at oregon for i don't know maybe maybe two decades at this point definitely over the last decade um, going into the center of that often, but I think specifically it's got to be one of like the Marquis Irving's runs where he just looks like he's going to be tackled behind the line of scrimmage and then breaks off and then goes and runs for another 20 yards, specifically the second play of the game, I want to say, Irving's 36-yard run, 37-yard run where he gets down to the, the three or four-yard line. Um, Irving's just been just phenomenal so far. Uh, I know he got a bad rep after that first Georgia game with his drop passes. Um, and his you know, yards per carry weren't great, and that Sean Dollars and Cardwell were better on paper. But um, Irving's you know solidified himself as the number one running back these last two weeks, and I think that's going to be a really important factor for Oregon. And he was just tremendous against BYU. Uh, defensively, if I had a specific moment, I think it's uh, I'll cheat and say it's all for the fourth down stops, especially the first one when they're coming out. You know, obviously the first drive of the game for BYU, they just allowed a 35-yard pass then a sack, then, then another run stop. Um, and that fourth down, fourth and six, fourth and seven, it was a perimeter play. That's that's something that two weeks ago, three weeks ago against Georgia, um, That who knows if they make that tackle? Mm -hmm. Who knows if they're properly trained and execute the play style to go out there and, and attack on the perimeter? Um, this time around against BYU, another good program with good athletes, you know, there's three or four hats to the ball. There's, you know, Oregon wins that numbers matchup. I rewatched it last night. It's basically a four on two, four on three, if you include the ball carrier. Um, Bennett Williams gets tremendous drive off of his blocker, throws him back into the running back or the wide receiver on the end around, and forces a, a tackle that's just for a yard or two for a gain. Um, I just thought it was a great, it was a great way to show the growth and development of the defense just at a very first very basic nature, really. That's just that's that's something that Oregon really struggled to do with the first two to three weeks, and then they come out first drive, big moment of the game, first fourth down, and absolutely stuff it. So, I thought, I thought all the fourth downs were important, but that one was my, uh, I guess, my favorite of the bunch. Either that or the, the doorless, the doorless tackle for loss. 
I was going to say the second quarter drive to end the half. Don't need to say much about that. So I'm just going to highlight um, Bucky Irving's running. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think he's kind of emerged as the best back. I think his effort is good. I think his ability to break tackles is pretty good. And we're starting to see why Oregon went out and brought him into the mix post spring football. Um, also, I think Bo Nix's decision making needs to be noted here. Um, I said you'd see a lot of the full Bo Nix experience in this game. And aside from like a handful of plays against Georgia, we really haven't seen any of it of bad Bo Nix in his time at Oregon. Especially the last two weeks, he's looked really good. 13 of 18 for 222 yards, two touchdowns. Some of his decision-making was really, really good. When to keep it, when not to keep it, uh, when to, where to throw the football. Um, I think that needs to be highlighted. And, you know, he plays like this. He's going he's gonna to put up good numbers, and Oregon's going to have a, a good offense, as we've seen the last two weeks. Defensively, um, I, I think that first possession in the second half that BYU had mm-hmm. is kind of flown under the radar a little bit because they ended up going for it and it was a weird decision. And, and I mean, I think that was another one of many where Jared and I were kind of like, okay, why are you doing that? Kalani Sitaki? that makes no sense. But I felt like maybe BYU felt like the game was getting away from them and they had to go for it considering Oregon scored to end the half scored to open the half. And that Fourth down stop basically won the game. Working went right back down again, scored a touchdown four plays later, game over. Um, that was also a pretty cool moment to see. The last two weeks, the the offense has put up really good numbers, and we should be talking about them and praising them, but the defense has flown under the radar with how they performed as well, and that was an, a moment I felt like was pretty big. Yeah, no, I think those are all Good ones. I didn't give a defensive one the first time around. Um, you guys kind of hit some of the things I like. I, I think just like an individual performer besides, I know we talked a lot about, or I know I talked a lot about um, Doralis in the post game. Having we watched it, just some of the plays Christian Gonzalez made, I, and, and yeah. just kind of basically at a certain point, Jaron Hall just didn't throw to his side of the field. I, I yes. thought, I think he's really fantastic, and, and I don't want to reiterate it because there's another week and we'll see what happens, but I just, Came away watching it again, going, man, they got to, they have to shore up that second corner. That's 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 like the one glaring weakness. And we'll get to. I think there's a question um, later about pass defense and kind of, and that's going to close out the show. So we'll, talk, I'll save some thoughts for that. But um, Gonzalez is is as advertised. And again, he had a couple rough moments against Georgia, but he's been great. And then to Matt, just just to kind of one point that you made about Bo Nix. I'm trying to. Th- I think. I think since the Georgia, I don't say this whole season. I think against Georgia, there were the two interceptions. There were a couple others in that game. So yeah, let's say there were four or five bad decisions there. Then there was the one throw against Eastern that Terrence Ferguson makes a great play and the ball scores a touchdown. I want to say like through three games, I think Nick's basically had six to seven poor decisions all season, and part of the reason it felt really glaring was because two of them were really crucial turnovers against yeah. a really, really good team and you get blasted. I think he's played pretty darn well in the totality of what he's done this year. And especially the last two weeks um, and the conference, by the way, not to, not to go down too much of a tangent quarterback plays really improved this year. A lot of, a lot of transfer quarterbacks. It's really good. 
a lot of really impressive stats. We can get into some of that later when we talk about passing offenses, but um, nah, Bo Nix, he's looking just as good as a lot of these guys. So um, that's a very positive development. All right, second one from at Quack Attack 10. I love Franklin as the number one receiver, but I expected that at some point we'd see a deep shot to Dante Thornton given his size and speed alone. Seems like he could win that 50-50 often. The season is young. Do you guys think we see Thornton break out later in the season? Hashtag odds and audibles. You know, it's kind of interesting, Jared. I think it was third quarter. I turned to you and said, Thornton's not really playing much, is he? And you said, mm-hmm. no. I don't have a snap count in front of me. That's one thing I want to do a better job of is, is getting snap count information so we can share it on Monday shows. So hopefully I'll be better next week in terms of having that information. It didn't feel, again, in rewatch that Thornton played – a ton in that game until the third quarter and of course unfortunately the one target he has all game bounces off his right. hands and is intercepted and i've seen that play litigated like oh thompson really put it in there too fast having me watch it i think that was a pretty good ball no. i mean it carried a little bit high so it kind of caught up by his face mask but that should have been a catch um and then if you look at where where he's at in the field that was probably going to be close to a first down knowing what he's capable of doing after the catch but um I think he is, you know, potentially, you know, he and Seven McGee were like two guys we were really excited going into the year. And and to be clear, Dante performed or has, at least from a production perspective, been a lot more productive so far than Seven, who's basically, I know he dealt with some injury stuff or cramping in the second game and didn't do a whole lot the last game. Um, but those guys have both been fairly quiet. Same with Chris Hudson. I just think it's kind of notable. We're talking about how this offense is looking really good, but there's still like three pretty key playmakers at receiver who we really haven't seen make huge contributions just yet. And I think Thornton certainly is one of those guys. Um, Franklin has been fantastic. I think there's room for for Thornton to be a really big part of this offense. I just think it's also notable that I think Chase Cota has, if not solidified himself as the top Z receiver, has certainly won quite a bit of favor there. He started, I believe, all three games. Yep. Um, he had some pretty crucial catches on scoring drives in the first half and in the third quarter to kind of set up touchdowns. Um, so hasn't gotten to the end zone this year, but I, I think Coda has been really good. So that's kind of taken away some of Thornton's opportunity at the same time. I'm in agreement of like, I, I'd like to see Thornton get involved a little bit. It's hard to nitpick too much here, but I just think that there is the fact the the fact of the matter is Oregon's offense has been firing pretty close to all cylinders the last two weeks. And there's still like some pretty good players who just aren't that involved. And I think that speaks to what the ceiling could be once everything falls into place. Or you look at it as it's probably really hard to kind of feed the mouths of five to six really good receivers and three or four is probably about all you're going to do anyway. I kind of look at it from that perspective where it's just going to be difficult to get everybody the reps that they probably deserve. Um, I think Thornton is, is an absolute stud in terms of just pure talent and size and skill and speed and athleticism and all that good stuff. There's just dudes on the team that are that are really good. And depending on how Oregon wants to run their offense, I think they're going to get more playing time than, than Thornton is. And upon rewatch, he, I thought Thornton actually played more than I, than I thought he did originally. Um, he was in on a lot of plays in the second half. Um, on the second touchdown pass to Terrence Ferguson, Mm-hmm. He was Heard in on that play. He was he was the guy running across the middle. Um, I think if that linebacker stayed with Ferguson and left Thornton open, that pass would have gone to Thornton, and Thornton probably would have scored a touchdown. And then this question probably isn't here. But that's just kind of how the offense works. 
that I'm sorry, just that that route. If you go back and watch it, the one you're talking about for the second yeah. Ferguson touchdown is really masterfully done. Where the, it's basically it's an beautiful. option route. It's it's yeah. the BYU player has to decide who am I going with, and whoever he doesn't go with is going to score a touchdown. So just just, exactly. just wanted to point that out because I noticed that too. Yeah, and Thornton was the option that the BYU player went with, and Ferguson was not. And so yeah, I again, this is somebody who I took a lot of stock of, and at some point during this week, we will update the stock game because it's been three games, but. He's somebody that I took a lot of stock of, and he hasn't done, you know, as as well as I expected. But I think we'll be okay. Um, I just think eventually, yeah, I'd like to see him, you know, do something on offense. But uh, you know, again, unless he's unless somebody gets hurt, I think it's going to be hard to get into this this wide receiver rotation. I mean, how how often did we hear about how good Caleb Chapman was during fall camp? Mm-hmm. He's got one catch, and I know he dealt with injuries and in, in yeah. the first game of the season, and but I don't I don't remember him really playing at all against BYU and but he's another guy who plays the same position as as I think he's another Z receiver with or is he an X receiver Eric he's an X he's an X and he didn't actually play against BYU FYI right so he's another guy who's yeah he's very talented he's shown up um his one catch was pretty impressive against Eastern Washington but that's another guy who hasn't gotten in there Hudson's, yeah, like like Eric mentioned, there are a lot of guys who haven't really gotten going this season who have the potential and the, the star power and the talent to do so. They just haven't. And I don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing because you know you got the horses like in the pen to go in case somebody gets hurt. You're not worried about like in I don't know, like in 2019 with with Justin Herbert's final year. It was like, all right, if this person goes down, then no, there's there's nobody really in the stables to to come in and, and produce at the same level. But um, all in all, yeah, I wish Dante Thornton was was in were in the game and was producing at a higher level. Um, I think he'll get there eventually. It just might not be as as soon as everybody anticipated originally. Uh, I specifically against BYU. Who whose targets are you taking away to give to Thorntons? Yeah, right. Franklin's no, Ferguson's no, Coda's no. This is just the reality of it, and sometimes we fall for it ourselves, but there's this idea that this is like Madden and that you're going to play 67, 80 snaps in a football game. You're going to throw 40 times, 50 times in a game. You're going to run the ball 30 times, and everyone's going to get seven or eight catches for 80 yards, and that's just not the way real football is played. And they only threw the ball 18 times. For 222 yards and two yeah. touchdowns. Like, That's the other thing. They're not like, throwing you, it that often. Exactly, Matt. Yeah. And and so, like, I'd love to see Thornton do stuff. I'd love to, do, to see McGee do stuff. But through three weeks, it's clear that Franklin is the top receiver. Uh, Coda and Hudson are kind of that second tier. And then the tight ends are producing a hell of a lot more than they did last season. And that was something that all three of us had said at the beginning of the year needed to improve. And it's just a literal, you know, literal sense of you can only feed so many guys. And unfortunately, Thornton and McGee are not on or not inside that little bubble of guys that are getting, you know, five or six catches a game, four or five catches a game. And maybe that changes. It could certainly change this week against a better opponent. Maybe Oregon has to throw the ball a little bit more. Go back to the Georgia game when Bo Nix had to throw the ball a lot. And last time, I th- I think Thornton had like 
two two catches and I think he had like four or five targets. You know, that's if if you want to be behind and you want your quarterback having to chuck the ball around, then yeah, other guys are gonna get receivers, gonna get targets. But if you want what happened the last two weeks, you know, it, there's only gonna be so many opportunities. Yeah, we should note Thornton is still he's the fourth most receptions on the team and he's third most receiving yards. He just didn't do any. He just didn't have any production against BYU. Actually, had four catches for sixty against Eastern. So, um, yeah. this was, you know, I, I, I think it's all fluid. And but I agree with Matt entirely. Of like, you throw the ball eighteen times with your first string quarterback, it's going to be hard to get a lot of targets. Um, and the reality is, Thornton didn't get a single target from Bo Nix, and the only target he got was from Thompson, and it was intercepted. So. I think there's going to be a plenty of opportunity. I definitely would not write off Thornton as like a lost cause at all. I think you're going to see opportunities throughout the season, depending on matchups too, to, to see other guys featured, just like we've seen with the running back room where I know some of it was injury related, but think about the first two games and some of the choices they made with rotating through certain names. And then Jordan James didn't play against Houston because he was hurt. And then Byron's out this last week. So it's kind of apples to oranges to some regard, but Jordan James got a lot more snaps over Sean Dollars, which was really a surprise because Sean Dollars had been out snapping a lot of the guys coming into the game. So um, I just think you can continue to see it rotating. But for this one game, hey, maybe not a lot of opportunities for him. Third question, at Connor Cook 21 with freshmen like Jordan James and Jaleel Florence already playing, is, the, is that the indication that the staff isn't worried about preserving the redshirt eligibility? You think the staff wants to get their guys – here and that's why they are playing a lot of these talented young 2022s they recruited because guys like Thornton, Cardwell, and Manning haven't had as big of a part of the scheme as they were projected to be. Seems like they really want to get their guys here. What do you guys think? Um, there's a couple of different parts there. First off, I just want to touch on games played through three games. Josh Connolly, Jaleel Florence, and Devin Jackson have all played three. I think it's pretty clear if you're playing these guys the first three games that you're not intending to use redshirt years. And I think you're going to expect those guys to play potentially all the games this year based upon health. You had uh, Jordan James, Kamari Terrell, and Ben Roberts play in two games. Two of them blowouts, but I think you can kind of point to those guys as being players that might play a fair amount. And then you've had seven guys play in one game. Harrison Taggart, Kyler Casper, Jill Tucker, Sir Mels, Dave Iuli, Amari Winston, and Kawika Rogers. Those guys are kind of in the, yeah, I don't know, maybe they'll get there, maybe not. Kind of depends on some of the game script stuff, but it felt like all those guys besides Taggart played against Eastern Washington and not against BYU, and then Taggart didn't play against Eastern Washington and played against BYU. So that group of guys basically only played in blowout circumstances, so they feel, I think, a little bit behind the guys I just mentioned. And then Justice Lowe, Anthony Jones, Michael Wooten, Trey John Williams have yet to play. I think you can kind of expect those guys are going to be redshirted. I just want to give kind of a breakdown of that. I have a story up on DuckTerry.com if you want to check it out about that. Um, it's titled Jordan James, one of seven true freshmen to contribute in BYU win. Um, to the point, to, to the question of if they're, you know, I mean, so like first off, yeah, I, I don't think they're trying to preserve Jordan James and Jaleel Florence's redshirt years. I think those guys are going to play. I don't think those guys are going to be redshirting. I think that's pretty clear. I think the same thing with Josh Connerly and Devin Jackson. Connerly's playing in that jumbo package, but also on special teams quite a bit, actually, mm -hmm. which is kind of unusual for an offensive tackle to be doing that. Um, you know, it, it, in terms of like kick and punt coverage stuff, like, I mean, like he's out there on quite a few. Um, Devin Jackson is like a special teams ace. He's going to play a lot of special teams. That's not a surprise. Guy's really athletic. 
Same with Kamari Terrell. Same with Kamari Terrell. Those two make a lot of sense to play on those. So those type of teams, just based upon athletic profiles, these are like sub 11, like 10, 7, 10, 6, 100 meter guys. They're fast. They're going to play a lot. I don't really agree at all with the sense that they're playing players over veteran guys because they, for like recruiting purposes, if that's what the implication is. I think that's, I think that's pretty far-fetched. Um, like the three players we talk about here, Thornton, Cardwell, and Manning, they're not playing any true freshmen over Thornton, for starters. We just talked, we just did a big Thornton thing, so I won't go into much that one. Cardwell had been receiving plenty of snaps in comparison to Jordan James coming into this game. In fact, I think if you pull up the season stats, um, Cardwell has 11 carries, James has 13, 76 yards for Cardwell, 50 for James. Both have played two games, both missed one with injury. Pretty even. I don't think that there's any sense that they're playing them above. Florence versus Manning. It was notable to me that Jaleel Florence got the nod in the second half before Dante Manning. Um, notable. Stands out a little bit. Don't necessarily think that's favoritism as much as it is maybe Jaleel Florence is really good and Dante Manning is, is still taking some time. I actually thought Manning played pretty well, though, at times. You know, you go back and watch it. He had a couple of path breakups, was in pretty good position. That second corner position, which we'll get to later, remains a problem. So, no, I, I, I think there's, you know, they're actually not playing as many true freshmen as previous. Like, Mario Cristobal played more true freshmen at, in terms of a rate. I don't have all the figures in front of me. Um, but, like, last year in 2021, I could probably pull it up while, while Jared and Matt talk. I, I think they ended up playing over 50% of the true freshmen. And right now you're, you've got about maybe six, maybe seven or eight guys that I think burn redshirt years. That puts you below that threshold. They had 17 kids signed. I, I don't think there's any of that. I think you've got – you always win these classes with all these – four and five star kids that are talented you expect some of them to be ready to go right away i think you're kind of seeing that happen i don't think anything has to do with proving to upcoming recruits that if you come here you'll play right away and and, and not playing guys that you didn't recruit i don't think that's part of it at all personally i don't think that's part of it at all either i think again dan has, has talked many a times about you know if you're good enough you're old enough and that you know the young guys will play if they if they're good enough to play and i think this this staff genuinely has put on competitions at, at position groups that require competition and the best player is playing. I don't think there's any agenda or initiative here. Like, hey, you know, this is a guy that we recruited, our new staff recruited. We want to get him into the game. We want to show other recruits. I don't think there's anything like that. I think that this is just Dan and his constituents and his staff working together to try to put the best guys out there on the field. Um, whether they're a freshman or not. Uh, I think it's just, you know, Jaleel Florence has now put a lot in both of the second halves now in every single every single one of Oregon's games. Um, I don't think that's by coincidence. I think he's good. And I think that he, Manning, and Bridges are, you know, we'll get to this later, are probably going to be in, a, in some type of competition this week for that second cornerback on, on the edge. And, you know, whoever it may be, I don't think there's going to be any agenda or initiative, again, that – Hey, we're playing our 2022 recruits like Jordan James and Jaleel Florence. Like, you know, if you, if you come join the class of 23, like we'll get you on the field. Like, I don't think there's anything like that. And like Eric mentioned, there's, you know, the rate of how many freshmen are playing is, is significantly less. And I think Dan is giving, I think Dan is giving guys all the time in the world to, to get used to their, to their groupings. Like with Marcus Harper playing a ton against Eastern Washington 
Ryan Walk leaving the game and coming back in with BYU. Um, I don't I don't think that they're they're putting anybody over over you know a Mario Cristobal recruited player. Um, and I think it's funny because Florence originally was a Mario Cristobal recruited player, but you know was won over again by the new staff. Um, yeah, and and as far as red shirts, I don't think I answered this part of the question. Um, I, I don't think I think Dan obviously I think the staff would like to keep a couple guys as a red shirt just to get that extra year of eligibility because yeah, that helps. It's going to help down the long run. Um, it's going to help in the short run if you want to have just this guy play and not have him worry about you know, if you're not he's playing or if he's worried about playing time. But uh, overall, I think that he's just going to play who he thinks is going to help win the win with this team and whether that burns up a redshirt year in their first year, um, that that's just going to how that's going to be how it is. I don't think Dan's going to care about that. Um, yeah, it'd probably be better if they had a fifth year eligibility instead of just four years. But uh, there's no point of, of waiting for that. Hey, maybe in the fifth year and four years from now, we'll be we'll be really good and we could use him as a fifth year senior when you could potentially be really good right now. So I, I think redshirt wise. Dan's just going to do whatever whatever he needs to do, frankly, with with the freshmen and, and play them if he wants to and play them if he absolutely needs to. He's said it multiple times. He's going to play the guys that can help the team win games. And if that's a freshman, that's going to that's really what's going to happen. Um, I the the staff is is paid a lot of money. There's a lot of trust in the staff from the Oregon football from the Oregon athletic department, and if they feel like a newcomer is giving a better chance to for Oregon to win a game than a returning player that they didn't recruit. That's what they should be doing. Play the guys that are going to give you the best chance to win. Plain and simple. And that's I I, I just think that's how it, how it's happening. That's how it's pr- progressing for for Oregon. Uh, certainly, you'd love to see some of these other guys play. Um, so I think also some performance on the field is impacting things or performance during the week yeah is impacting how and when these guys play if you're not going to pl- if you're not going to practice well you're not going to play mm-hmm. and i i think that was something that happened the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal because not to go down a tangent but i i, I think there were some promises made a lot of promises made by the previous staff about playing time or about this or about that and i I just felt, you know, one of the things we heard a lot in fall camp this year was the chemistry is better. The leadership is better. The team commitment within the players is better. And last year, there was just a lot of, there were a lot of characters on the team. And I just really wondered, like, did everything happen in practice the way it should? And then did that transform into equal playing, you know, rightful playing time on Saturdays? And maybe that's the case what's happening right now is guys that are performing well in practice. They're playing on Saturday. Just to wrap up red shirt talk really quick, Matt, I did ask Dan a question about red shirting this, this, this week. I wanted to just kind of read his response. I just asked like, are these conversations ongoing? And his response was to make decisions about red shirting, not red shirting based on today compared to what's going on in November and December. I think that's really premature. I think the conversation, sorry, the conversation continues to change throughout the year based on the health of your team, based on people's performance. To think that any of these guys that just got here for us are going to be the same players 10 games from now is a complete disservice to them and to our program from a development standpoint. I've been around a program 
sorry, I've been around programs a long time where a guy that wasn't necessarily involved in game one was super involved in game 10. So I mentioned some guys aren't playing now. That probably, maybe they're going to redshirt, as Dan even said there. You can't even read too much into that. We could see a guy like a, a Harrison Tiger who's played in one game. We could see a guy like a Justice Love who hasn't played at all. Maybe by the end of the season, they're playing a ton and they do end up using, <clears throat> they do end up, sorry, uh, not using red shirts. Real quick, if, if Oregon's going to play a guy five games, do it. Because if they're as good as everyone expects that these guys to be, they're only going to be here for four years, maybe even three. And so if if you're going to debate, well, should we play this guy five or six games or should we keep him out too so that we could redshirt, you know, so that he gets the four-game threshold to redshirt, you're just hurting yourself this season. Because if you if if the fan thinks these guys are as good as they all are, they're all off to the NFL after four years. And if you use a red shirt, you only get them for three of those four years. So play them. Even if it's five, six games, play these guys. If, if they're helping you that week to get a win, it's worth it. All right. That's going to do it for us for the first half of the <laughs> Odds and Autos podcast. We'll take a quick break. We come back. We'll finish things up. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Three questions in, two more to go as we get ready for this big weekend game against Washington State. Mailbag edition for this Monday show. Matt, you head faked me there right before the break. I thought you were wrapping up. I was like, wait, we've got more questions. You got some more to talk about. You that was that sounded like the uh, the normal wrap up intro. All right, this is uh, from at Bob L Middleton. Because we don't do a lot of special team stock, I figured we'd throw one in here today. Oregon's kickoffs have been gener- generally good. But when the ball doesn't go into the end zone, the coverage has been average or poor. What gives? Um, just some stats before we jump into some of this. It has been pretty decent. Camden Lewis, Andrew Boyle, Alex Bales have all spent time kicking the ball off. There's been a total of 20 kickoffs. 12 have gone for touchbacks. Nine Boyle has kicked off nine times, six have been touchbacks. Camden's kicked off ten times, six have been kick, uh, touchbacks. And Bales has kicked off once, it was not a, a touchback. I, I bring all that out to say that it's a good rate. You want it to be better. I think it's pretty average nationally is about 60%. You want it to be closer to 70 to 80%. To the second part of the question here, you know, I, I think it's been notable. I'm not a special team. I love watching special teams. I love kind of investing time into trying to understand some of it. 
I will admit, I'm not like a special teams guru in terms of understanding everything that goes with it. But what I have found notable from what Dana said is, is, is something about kick placement and about the value of yeah. putting the ball in a certain spot based upon a certain coverage. And my sense is there have been two long returns this year, one against Georgia to start the second half, one against Eastern. Was that also to start the second half? I can't remember when that took place. I don't remember, honestly. But there was two of them, both both of which basically the kicker ended up having to make a tackle near midfield. Uh, Boyle did it the first game. We think that might have been why he got hurt because he, was, he wasn't able to play the next game. Um, and then Lewis was uh, a part of the second the second one. It ended up being a Bryce Betcher uh, targeting call that ended up leading to Eastern's. No, it wasn't to start the second half because it ended up leading to Eastern's first touchdown of the game. So, But two, two kickoffs nonetheless. I kind of get the sense that perhaps both of those, the ball might not have been placed where it needed to be placed. Um, again, I'm not an expert on this, but something Dan has brought up a couple of times is just kickoff location placement. And other than that, the returns have been pretty, 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 like, pretty minimal um, for opponents. But those two kickoffs, for whatever reason, seem to put the ball in a position where they were able to get up the field. Overall, I think, honestly, special teams has been solid. I don't think it's been perfect, obviously, because there have been two pretty long returns already that have both set up touchdown drives, we should note. Um, and that happens. If you, if, if you give the opponent, even an FCS one, the ball near midfield or past it, right. you're going to be good enough to at least convert at some points, and both of those have gone for touchdowns. Um, you need that to be kind of tightened up. But I included this question just because I, I, I wanted to kind of run through some of the kickoff stuff there, but also because I think it, I think what Dan said is kind of interesting and something to maybe kind of keep an eye out for is, um, you know, watch where the coverage unit is headed downfield and watch where the ball actually lands. And if the ball is going to the, to the left corner and the coverage is to the right, that might indicate something that maybe that ball was supposed to go somewhere, other, you know, go to another place. And that could be a poor communication from the kicker or just they didn't kick the ball appropriately. Um, but regardless, I just wanted to include a little special teams talk before we get into some more I think Washington State and upcoming games have to finish. We love special teams talks on this podcast. Um, I've also noticed the same thing, uh, Bob. Uh, it's weird. It's like whenever there's not a touchback, it seems that sometime or it seems that the majority of the time that the opposing team makes a good return. Um, and I think it's mostly to do with what Eric was just talking about, just in ball placement and, and where the coverage is on the special teams and then the ball is kicked to the other side of the field or whatnot. Um, I think Oregon's kickoffs have been pretty inconsistent at points. And we even saw like Andrew Boyle this last game, the first kickoff of the game was just a line shot, like a stinger right at somebody um, that went through the back of the end zone that worked and there was a touchback and everything. But you know, then you had another, most of the other ones were just a normal line drive, just a, just a good kick straight to the back of the end zone, something like that. Or, Bales and his lone kickoff was like a fly ball, like a pop fly to one of the coverage guys, not the returner specifically, and that is just caught for a fair catch. Um, so I'm, I'm just not sure if the consistency is there in terms of the, the kickoff units. And I think that might have something to do with the coverage issues because let's say that the, the goal is to kick this ball to the left side. That's where our coverage is going. Um, and if there's some an inaccuracy on the, on the kicker's part, you know, that ball could be pushed towards the middle or it could be pushed towards the right-hand side of the field. Um, I think that just, it'll, I, again, not a special teams guru, not somebody who's going to go out there and say that they're doing this, this, and this wrong. Um, 
I just feel like there's been some inconsistencies on the kickoff part of it and the general kicking of the ball to where it's supposed to go or the, the flight or the, um, the speed of it, whatever the case may be. Um, so I think that's just something that gets worked out in practice. But otherwise, I mean, I think that this year's team is, is kicking the ball through the end zone for touchbacks or at least getting touchbacks at a higher rate than it feels like in the last couple of years. Um, yes, there's been the, those two or three run running or, uh, returns that went for you know half yard plus a targeting or whatever the case. Um, but I think overall the special teams unit has been pretty darn good. Um, it's been good on field goals. It's been good on point after attempts. Um, it's been good with with whoever they have as a gunner. Um, I think punting could could probably be improved. Adam Barry hasn't had a lot of opportunities to showcase himself as a punter, um, but they haven't been great to start the year. Um, so in terms of what gives, Bob, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I think Eric's message of maybe the ball isn't it kicked accurately into the coverage that they selected is probably your, your best case answer. Uh, I think we're just seeing what's kind of plagued Oregon the last five years, inconsistency. Um, I, I just think that's where it's at. And Dan's noted multiple times that when, whether it was with us or with the coaches show, that when the kicker doesn't kick accurately towards the part of the field, the ball needs to go because that's where the other 10 guys are running to that creates avenues to, to return big games. And he noted that against Eastern Washington. I'll be curious to see if he says that uh, this week, if there's anything that happened or didn't happen in a positive manner against BYU. I, I just think it's inconsistency. And I, I don't know if we were going to expect huge leaps with Oregon's actual kicking units because – there are some guys still here that have been previously at other, you know, previous seasons. There've been some new faces, but none of them were like full-time starters. So, you know, I, I just think it's inconsistency. It's what we've been dealing with the last four or five years for Oregon special teams. All right. We're going to wrap it up with a question from at recruit in ducks. It's apparent that we struggle with pass rush and coverage with conference foes such as Washington State, UW, and USC firing on all cylinders through the air. How do we counter? Is it scheme-related or personnel? I'm thinking the latter. What's your thoughts? Hashtag ensembles. Um, yeah, there's clearly some shortcomings with coverage. I think the pass rush thing, I still sort of think back to when I asked Dan this last week about what he kind of thought of the pass rush and his response was, yeah, we haven't finished some plays, but opposing offenses have gotten the ball out really quick. And that even stood out against BYU. There were some times obviously where Jaron Hall's a really good quarterback and some of the back shoulder throws to the sidelines he made, he had four or five like that, where you're just like, wow, that's the tip of the cap. Great throw. But if the pressure's there, maybe he can't make that throw. Made some great throws rolling out when they did get pressure. Um, but obviously I think they finished with one sack. That's not great. The coverage part, definitely a concern, especially when Christian Gonzalez is not just manning up a guy. Um, I want to get to some of that part. I also want to get to some of these teams that are mentioned here just to point, just to make some points. Oregon doesn't have USC on the schedule. Washington's pass offense has been amazing this year. Michael Penix is like third in the country with passing yards um, and, and efficiency. He's 
been absolutely awesome. And you, you know, you watch that Washington State game. Some of the throws he made were really impressive. They they are challenging teams vertically. That is going to be potentially a really interesting game in November. We'll see. Oregon has time to get better. We'll see with Washington kind of how their season progresses. But that could be a game where Oregon is really challenged with the vertical passing game. Washington State actually, I know that they're known because of who was the coach there for so long with Mike Leach. It's like this pass-heavy, go-go-go team. They've been winning games with defense. Like, you yeah. go look at – like, they're actually right now 10th um, in the Pac-12 in passing offense. Um, Cameron Ward has not thrown for more than 300 yards. Uh, he has eight touchdowns, three interceptions. Some of that was you go against Wisconsin, which is traditionally a difficult team to – Score on, so you're losing some of it. He only had 200 yards passing in that game. He threw two picks. Uh, my point is, like, I'm not sure we want to count Washington State as being the Washington State we're so used to watching. Just like I think there's sort of a misnomer with Oregon, where people pointed to Oregon for so long as being, like, speed, gadget plays, get out in space. And then Mario Cristobal was here, and it was the, the exact opposite. It was just, like, power, power football. Um I think we get into that habit of like we see Washington State and we think aired out, they're going to be air raid offense. They're going to throw the ball over the yard, fifty passes. I, they're actually pretty even split run to pass. And what makes them really tough is, and you would understand that with their identity of their head coach, it's a defensive minded team. This is a team that right now I think is one of the best in the conference in scoring defense. Um, they're currently best at 12.7 yards. They've only given up five touchdowns through three games. That includes a game with Washington, or I guess, sorry, with, against Wisconsin. Um, Idaho was a pretty close game, by the way, 24-17 to open the season. And then they won 17-14 over Wisconsin, 38-7 over Colorado State this last weekend. I'm not, not sure how great Colorado State is. But I'm just pointing out, like, the um, before we get into some of the Oregon-related stuff, just to give kind of a bit of a preview, I think the perception of what Washington State is is maybe a little bit off of what they actually are this year. I think it's a team that's going to try to challenge Oregon with its defense. Their front, the front line on defense is really good. They've got good linebackers. Their offense is not exactly what I think Oregon fans are expecting. So I, I wouldn't say it's an offense that's firing on all cylinders through the air. That doesn't mean they can't have success throwing the ball against an Oregon defense that has not been great against the pass, but. Um, just wanted to kind of get that out. To the scheme slash personnel part, well, I always think when you have a, a pass rush that isn't getting there and you have coverage issues, those kind of go hand in hand. If Jaron Hall isn't able to sit in the pocket for a good amount of time and hit some of those comeback routes, probably not going to be much coverage issues anyway because he's you know the longer you have to cover the harder it is and i think i have one really good corner and then the other ones are, are struggling um but as jared said after the byu game a lot of what teams are still doing is what they did against georgia which is quick hitters and that eliminates the pass rush opportunities and i think oregon has actually performed pretty well there the last couple of weeks so i'll be curious to see what washington state does it's kind of a long-winded way of, of running through some of that because I'm not convinced Cameron Ward is going to be somebody who beats you the same way that Jaron Hall does. Um, yeah. I, I'm not trying to say he can't throw the football vertically because he's shown he can a little bit. He's had some long he's had some long passes down the field, but I don't think this I think this offense is going to do pretty similar in terms of trying to get the ball out quick as opposed to so you might not see the pass rush get there just like we have the last couple of weeks. But can they tackle in space? Can they make plays? 
And the other part is, are they ready? I mean, because, because again, this isn't going to be an offense that I expect to throw the ball 50 times. Like they've thrown it 40, 28 and 30. That's, that's what they've thrown so far. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned about Washington state's pass offense. Like Eric mentioned, they're a, a significantly defensive, the defensive minded team. And, you know, they went into Wisconsin and held them to uh, you know 14 points. Like that's extremely impressive, especially considering Wisconsin, you know, they're, they're, prototypical Big Ten football team, they're going to run, they're going to ground a pound and they didn't let them, you know, it's just 14 points. And for Oregon, what their strength is, as obviously is their running game. And they've been able to, to run well, even against Georgia, they, they ran, you know, statistically pretty well comparatively to other teams in the past against Georgia. Nothing crazy, but again, when that's your, your competition level, it's, it was impressive that Oregon was able to do so. And you saw that against BYU. Oregon just ran all over them. Um, if they're able to limit how Wisconsin runs, I bet they can limit how Oregon runs too. Um, but in terms of, I'll, I'll just jump into the, how do you counter for you know teams that are looking to spread the ball through the air on Oregon? Um, whether it's personnel or scheme, I think those go hand in hand because if it's scheme related, let's say they flip into dime coverage, which they've showed every once in a while on third and longs, um, that also changes your personnel. You're no longer running uh, an extra defensive lineman out there. Uh, Oregon in the past couple of examples of this dime package have rotated in three linebackers with Sewell and Flo and Jeffrey Bossa and kept in their same safeties, but moved Sewell down to the defensive line or that positioning and either have rushed him or dropped him back in the coverage and dropped eight, rushed three to the passer. Um, I think they're both going to go hand in hand. I think it's more important to figure out who is on your scheme. You know, who is playing in your dime package? What is is that Jeffrey Bassa who played very well against BYU on Saturday? Uh, does that continue to be Steve Stevens or Brian Addison in the secondary? Um, who is your star in that position? Is it Jamal Hill? Is it Bennett Williams? Who do you feel most comfortable with making open field tackles? Um, I'm, you know, I, I I was impressed, like I said, after, after the game in the podcast about how Oregon was able to tackle on the perimeter. I mentioned it in this podcast just to show how much improved they are. Um, like Eric is, I'm also interested to see how Washington State attacks Oregon because it's no longer just, you know, if I throw it out to the flats against Oregon, I'm going to get six to eight yards. It's not that anymore. Um, I think there's still stuff to work on there, obviously. I think, you know, Dan would say that. Um, I think he says that about everything in, in his press conferences is that it's good, but there's still stuff to work on. And, and it's true. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the view from the scope of a perfectionist. Um, I, I just think that Washington state, like Eric mentioned, is not this same air raid offense. that's going to throw the ball 40 to 60 times against Oregon. Um, they might, but I, I would be very surprised. It's, this is just, isn't their MO anymore. And, there, it's going to be a, it's going to be a physical game more than it is going to be something like a finesse, like how it was with the air raid at points. Um, it's interesting here because I don't, I don't know if a lot of the well, I feel like week one against Georgia, week two against Eastern, those two teams didn't hold the ball very long to allow Oregon to even get try to get a pass rush. Um, right. BYU did at times, and it was hit or miss. Um, the second play of the game, Brandon Dorless got pass rush and hit Jaron Hall before he could throw it, which you know made him tuck the ball under and step up into the pocket, and then he ended up getting sacked. Now, 
there were also plenty of opportunities where Jaron Hall had plenty of time to throw the football. I, I wonder, is that a combination of a Oregon not having an elite pass rusher and B still trying to figure out how they counter that. So they're trying different things. They haven't found anything yet. Um, I do think I, I'll say this. I'm more worried on the back end than I am on the front end um, with, yeah. with, with the pass rush. Um, I, I I don't know who you have that you can rely on opposite Christian Gonzalez at cornerback. I feel like you've got options up front to, to generate a pass rush. It's just how can we deploy these guys in a different manner to get the pressures that we need? I don't know if they have an answer because Bridges, Bridges has been targeted multiple times, has given up big plays. He almost gave up a touchdown against BYU early on uh, in, in the first half, which would have been a huge momentum swing back into BYU's favor. Um, Florence is a freshman and is playing maybe a little bit ahead of now Dante Manning, who was a five-star recruit you know, a couple years ago. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Is, is it move Bridges to safety and you, you go Florence and Manning? Or I, I don't know what the answer is here. And it's probably unfortunately a situation where because they don't have a lot of guys at that position, this is kind of the hand you're dealt with. And you're going to have to figure out a way to, to get through it without giving up big plays. And to Eric's point, Washington State's a little bit different this season. Um, and I think little is an understatement. Here's a stat for you. A couple weeks ago, a Washington State tight end caught a pass. It's the first time in 11 years a tight end at Washington State has caught a pass. Uh, the position is back with the Cougars um, under Mike Leach. No longer there. The air raid um, is no longer there to a degree. And so while I think they're going to throw the ball a lot, it's not like what Leach and Rolo ran before Rolo got fired. Um, Dickert's putting his own spin on it, and we might not see an op- you know an opponent this season truly spread it out unless Oregon faces USC in the Pac-12 championship game. And then it's just a one-game playoff, and can you get through it with one game with what you have? Um, so I, I, long story, long-winded answer, I'm more worried on the back end than I am on the front end, but it, I don't know if there's any teams that are really going to really stress that on Oregon's schedule. Maybe Oregon State, maybe. I don't know. Washington. <clears throat> Washington. Yeah. Washington's the one to they, watch. But they're not They're not spread, though. Like, they, they don't go five wide all the time. Um, you know, they, they do take shots. They, you know, they had a huge passing game against Michigan State, but they're not like a USC or old Washington State where they're going to go – four and five wide almost every single possession. They're, I'm just bringing up they're, – they're second nationally in passing yardage, 390 sure. per game. So they're, yeah, they've, I they've mean, thrown a lot. I'm just saying that's the one – and I think Oregon State's the other one. I, I was actually just – that's how I wanted to wrap, Matt, was just like who on this who on the schedule scares you there? Those are the two offenses that actually – cause, because they don't play USC. Um, yeah. Those are the two offenses that I would be concerned about from a passing perspective. Those are the yeah, two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. We'll be back later this week uh, with a review, early look, uh, a full review of 
of BYU, a look ahead to, to Washington State. We'll have a um, Cougar Insider on the show later in the week. We'll also do a game pick, and uh, we'll have some more stuff coming here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. For more coverage leading up to that Washington State game, 1 p.m. kickoff, uh, go to deckterritory.com for more. But until the next one you've been listening to, the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a survivor. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 